was talking with um, Robbie uh, before worship. We were back in the back with Brandy and Jay, and and I said, uh, you know, today, Robbie, for some reason, I'm really excited, but I'm nervous. And usually, I don't I don't get nervous uh, in some ways. I mean, there's always a little edge, but not really nervous. And Robbie said, John, I'm nervous. And uh, I want you to know today that I come out of the utmost reverence for Jesus Christ. I come, uh, like you, seeking the Lord. And I believe that God does, does something miraculous in the midst of believers. And that's why we corporately come together to say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so for all of us, it's been an unbelievable week. Something that we never thought would happen. Something that we've seen happen, unfortunately, that people try to murder other races, that people try to murder um, people that are not like them. And then when the murderer shows up, he always attacks what the evil one says are the weakest. And the world sees that. The world takes kindness for weakness. That is why Christians are picked on. That's why Christians are mocked. That's why Christians are made fun of. That is why Jesus turned the other cheek. That is why people are murdered and killed because the enemy always wants to attack the weak. And so I'm going to start with this. The Lord laid on my heart as clear as He's laid something on my heart before. This Word. So you and I have questions and the Lord has answers. And today, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15.10 And His work is not without effect. And I'm going to do my best to answer these questions. Questions like, why did it happen? Why or how could a good God allow such evil? And how should a Christian uh, respond? And in fact, is God far away? Now, my question is, when I say we have questions, uh, but God has answers, then my question is, how can I make that statement? And so I want to leave you today. All these notes are on um, Summit Church on Facebook. So I encourage you to follow along. It's on summitcharleston.com. I encourage you to follow along. But how can I make the statement that the Lord has the answers to our questions? And here's why I'm going to say that. The Lord has the answers because He is the truth. There's no one else who has truth but Jesus. Jesus claimed the very name of truth. He said, I am the way and the what? So only He has the answers because only the truth is going to give you an answer that will satisfy the depth of your soul where your spirit lies. So that's number one the reason why I, I, I believe God answers these questions is because He is the truth. Numbers 23, 19 says this. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up here. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of Man, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? 
That's the God who will answer us because, one, He is the truth. So why am I doing this? Because Jesus is the truth and only the truth answers. The second reason that the Lord has impressed upon my heart to answer this is because my mother and father-in-law and my wife, uh, my wife buried her two nieces, my mother and father-in-law buried two granddaughters And when I was at the funeral at the Catholic Church in Medford, New Jersey, and the priest came out, and it's filled with people in the Catholic Church that don't go, they might go Christmas and Easter, but probably not. And it's filled with people in their 30s and in their 20s and in their 40s and in their 80s who do not go, and it's filled with these people and they're sitting there looking for answers they're uh, financially secure and sound people making six figures and beyond and doing very well and the priest gets up who twice was the priest over those funerals and he stood up as a former and I quote him neonatal nurse and he stood up and he says over this small casket, he says two different funerals, I have no answer. I'll go over here. I have no answer. You ask my mother and father-in-law. You ask them in the pain in their heart. You ask my wife in the pain of her heart watching her only brother bury two of his children. One dying in the mother's arms at Sloan Medical in New York with a brain tumor. The other one, other died in Philadelphia Children's Hospital, leaking lymphatic fluid and blows up. And he has no answer. It unsettled me. And it wrecked me. I was beyond angry. So the reason why I want to address this is one, is that Jesus has the answers to our questions too. There has to be somebody who stands up and give an answer. And three, the very morning, the very morning after this tragedy, in my quiet time, in my daily reading, which is a psalm a day, a proverb a day, Three chapters in the old and one chapter in the new. So I read through the new, t- uh, read through the whole Bible in about ten months of the year, and I read through the Bible every year. I think I'm on my thirteenth or fourteenth year straight of just continually pouring into the Bible. I come to my reading and I go to Psalm chapter ten. This will be in the Holman Christian Standard. And the reason why I had to switch my Bible is because I can't see my NIV Bible. Sometimes I've been preaching the last couple weeks and I can't even see it. True story. So uh, my pride won't let me get glasses, so I go to larger print. And this is the largest print I could find in my house or in my office. So Psalm 10, I I wake up and and after being up till 2 in the morning, uh, traveling back from Columbus, Ohio this week and that that night on the phone with uh, uh, one of our uh, or one of our baseball players here, Chris Singleton, whose mother uh, was murdered, who I know, who was uh, uh, ordained 
reverend in the church downtown who preached on Mother's Day. She's an awesome woman of God. Absolutely love her, love her, love her. And she is not dead. She is alive in Christ. Psalm 10. Psalm 10, I read. Sorry. Psalm 10, I read. Lord, King David said, why do you stand so far away? I couldn't believe it as soon as I read it. Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked re- relentlessly pursue the afflicted. You can't tell me African Americans haven't been afflicted. I was raised by one. Little do you know. She is a tremendous mother to me. Let them be caught in their schemes. They have devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. This verse, as I'm reading and I'm already blown away, and this Holy Spirit is flooding my soul. In all his scheming, Dylan, the wicked arrogantly thinks there is no accountability Since God does not exist, verse 7, cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. Here's a prophetic word, saints. He waits in what? Near the villages. He kills the innocent in secret places. in the Bible study. They had started their Wednesday night prayer gathering late. Runs over. Group leaves. Small group stays. And walks a murder. And I read that and God began to pour this into my heart. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I am inadequate And I don't know what I am doing, but I know the Spirit of the living God knows and that Jesus is here. And so I'm asking you, Lord, today to give us answers to the questions so, one, we can in turn give you glory and receive the satisfaction that Jesus is greater than all, and two, that we can release those answers and release the presence of the Lord in everywhere we go so that people might have hope. That is my prayer. Please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive us so we can hear you clearly. Holy Spirit, motivate us to act accordingly and give us a passion and a deep love for you and for everyone. And in Jesus' name, we all said what? So why am I doing this? Number one is that Jesus is the truth. Number two, the Spirit of God impresses on 
me in my quiet time. And number three, the Holy Spirit prophetically gave me a word at the beginning of the year of January that the word for the year is what, saints? I was blown away by it. So you have questions and we have answers. Number one question, is God far away? When tragedy hits, when things hit, is God far away? Verse 1 of Psalm 10. Lord, why do you stand so what, saints? Have you ever felt, it's, you don't have to answer it publicly, but have you ever felt where God was far from you? I have felt that way many times in my walk with Jesus. Why are you so far? Why are you so far? And the answer is, the truth is, the very word of God that does not return void, that transcends all times. Somebody can get a prophetic word like I have from the Holy Spirit to us, but it's only for us for a certain time and a certain place. But the very prophetic word of God that he gives in his word is eternal and lasts forever for all people at all times and all places. And so we turn, how do we know that the truth, remember, Jesus is the truth, and the truth is the only thing that can give answer to the deep questions of the soul. So the truth is in Psalm 34, 18. The Word of God says, the Lord is near to the what? To the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. For everyone touched, all America that's touched, the Lord is near the Lord is near. He is not far away. King David is crying out in pain and in anguish. And I love it because he's bearing his soul. I just want to remind you that God can handle your anger. I'm not telling you to cuss him out. But I am telling you that he's bigger than that. He is way bigger and he can handle every bit of pain that you have because every bit of pain that you have pales in comparison to taking all the pain of all the people and all the world at one time and bearing it on Jesus on the cross. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushing spirit. Here's a popular one, Psalm 51. David in his sin said this, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Deuteronomy 30, 14 says this, as Moses was prophetically speaking to the Israelites, the foreshadowing of the church. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Romans even exclaims that. The word of God, meaning the presence of God, the person of Jesus is near us. So is God far away in this tragedy? And the absolute answer is not. The world says, then show up like flesh and blood. But the problem with that statement is, is they probably don't want Jesus to show up right now. You say, well, John, what do you mean by that? Because when Jesus came the first time, according to John 3, 16, he came because he loved the world and to forgive. John 3, 17, he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. But the next time he comes, as we prophetically read in the New Testament and in Revelation, the next time he comes, there will be a great judgment. So do they really want Jesus to come back right now? Wouldn't they rather have time 
to, to get ready for Jesus to come back. Because when he comes back, there is no time period. There is no grace period at that moment. You will either bow in hell or you will bow in heaven, but every knee will bow. So do they really want that? So the saints cry out in Revelation, Maranatha, come quickly. Why? Because we want to be in the presence of Jesus. We don't just want enemies smacked down. We want to be in the presence of those we love. That's why we go to family reunions. We go because we love certain people and we tolerate the cray craze. But you go because you love them. So what I'm trying to say in this is that God is not far away. A question number two. Question number two is this, and I got this this week. Well, John, I don't understand. What type of punishment, what kind of punishment will a sinner receive? Now, Mark White, I know you'll like this one because we're going back to our old school roots. What type of punishment will the sinner receive? Look at verse 2. I love verse 2 in Psalm 10, verse 2. In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue the afflicted. So he drives down to commit a murder premeditated in arrogance, in pride. Pride cometh before the what, saints? So what type of punishment is going to happen? That's the question. How is what's going to happen to him? It's going to satisfy. I mean, what is all the pain and the suffering of all those lives and all the people affected by that, us indirectly at second or third level, See, arrogance there, it's interesting there in verse 2, because arrogance means that there is no God, that I'm in total control, so atheism is nothing new. Atheism is nothing new. Psalm 14 verse 1 says this, The fool says in his heart, God does not exist, or maybe in your version, there, there is no God. Uh, It's repeated. David repeats this in Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, God does not exist. They are corrupt and do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. In other words, there is no one, as we all know, everyone sins and falls short of the glory of God. But there are people that move past that and are not redeemed and not restored and don't want to be. And God has allowed the hardness of their hearts to consume them and they are saying there is no God and they consume others. But I want you to know that people, people that say there is no God and that act like there is no God and they try to take the place of God and they try to do things that are ungodly, right? Because uh, Satan comes as an angel of light. And so this is what happens. They will be punished. People will be punished. A delay is not a deny. A delay in punishment is not a denial in punishment. But one person said to me, a very, very smart man whom I respect, said to me, said, but John, what you don't understand is that people like that murderer, people like those, they don't feel like we feel. For them to be sent on death row, for them to be sent of mental anguish, for them to eventually have to face Uh, capital punishment for them they don't feel like we feel 
they don't feel that way. They are, are not punished that way. You know, I brought this because this was my dad's license plate. This was my license plate in North Carolina. L-E-T-H hyphen I-N-J. What do you think it stands for? Lethal injection. My dad, when, when he was in the Senate, got it passed. He and my mother witnessed the first lethal injection in the state of North Carolina. My brother was the youngest senator ever to serve in the history of North Carolina. And so after they witnessed it, I asked my mom, I said, well, mom, what did you think? She said, it don't bring back the dead. She said, the people that were in the room that watched that of the murderer left the same way they went in. Still broken. And he did that because, you know, in the electric chair, sometimes the first time doesn't take. And as they burn you from the inside out, with your hoodwink on, sometimes it doesn't take. So the most humane way, as he was the head of the Judiciary Committee, because he was a lawyer and had been at all this other stuff, he felt like this was a wise thing. And so this is what I drove. The, the car that I drove around was his because I didn't have one. This is what I drove. You don't get many dates. You drive a car like that. So, John, they don't feel like you feel. When I've my, my, my experienced my, my whole life, my dad was around the murderers and rapists I I, I told y'all before, Roger Wetmore chopped up his dead 42 times, decapitated him, put him in the back of a trunk, ran him in the river. His mother told him to do it, and they asked her why uh, she she told him to do it. She said a Martian told her. That's a demon, people. And so what I'm trying to tell you is, is that from from 10 years old, standing in the elevator with people like that, going to the jails where as an eight-year-old they would grab me and my father would throw me against the wall. I have been exposed over and over. my whole life was a, is around people who've committed heinous crimes. I told you about the lady who took the hot curling iron and put it on her baby's one-year-old front bottom and held it till she stopped screaming. You tell me. And so... Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and what? Why would you want to understand evil? Can you? Show me where evil makes sense. And I will say you're in danger of following it. Show me where, show me where we can understand. We ask why. We ask why we ask why and in all this and i'm going to get into it i want to just jump ahead but my point is this is that people will pay they will pay on earth and they will pay eternally let me show you for example on earth they will pay romans 13 for example this is why my dad did this as a strong follower of jesus he never cussed a day in his life i didn't believe it because i've cussed many times so i asked my mom who has cussed too I just picked up what she did. Bearing false witness, right? But he felt like this was something that he could do to help. So Romans 13, he says, that was his heart. For government is God's servant 
for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because it, the government, does not carry the sword, lethal injection, lecture chair, firing squad, whatever else. The sword for no reason. For government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not bear the sword for no reason. Says it again. For government is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Well, then John, okay, so we kill them, but here was the question. But they don't feel like we feel. They're soulless. They're possessed. They're possessed. I am telling you that Dylan is possessed. And if you don't believe in possession, then you probably don't believe in God. And you could say, well, how can someone be possessed in the middle of a church building? I would challenge you to read the New Testament where there was a man in the synagogue with Jesus possessed. Possessed people come to corporate worship. Ask the pastor in heaven who was murdered in Illinois as he held up the Bible and was shot. Ask the people a couple years ago that were in Texas at a, in the middle of a big youth event when the guy walks in the back and just starts dropping people. And a young man goes up, teenager, and says, you can kill me and I know where I'm going, but where are you going? And at that he turned and his gun on himself and killed himself. And on and on and on and on we have this. But let me tell you, so they're, John, they're soulless. I've been with those people on death row. Yes, I've been with them as I'm preaching at Lever on death row, 64 on the block. And as I, it's the weirdest thing in the world, this is nothing to preach to you. And I'll tell you why, because you don't get up and go take a shower. I just want you to know it's strange when you're preaching and somebody gets up and goes and takes a shower. Like right there. Like, hey, got a towel, here we go. And you're up there preaching. Very difficult. You got a visual. My point is this, is that, yeah, are there people yelling? Yelling out of the windows at me? Are, are, are things being said, are some you can see with the windows because they can't get out, crack with their Bibles, and to the eight or nine or ten that are in there that are just on the benches with the old Baptist hymnals with nothing on it, and as we would sing those these hymns, as they would sing with all they have, and there would be your age sitting in there, and there would be older. Are there people possessed? Yes. Do I believe that some of them have gotten saved? Yes. Because I want to say this, if God can't save a murderer, then he can't be my God. Because his, he is not big enough or strong enough, nor is his grace powerful enough to save somebody. But John, what about those people? What about the pain that they have? Well, here's my point in this. They will feel pain. Yes, but John, they don't feel it right now. They're soulless. They don't feel the pain that we feel. They don't feel the remorse. But God has an answer for that. God has an answer, saints, because you have questions. He has answers. And here's the answer. They might die on this earth feeling no pain, no remorse, and could care less, and proud of their murder, proud of what they've done. But God says, you will feel. Listen, here we go. 2 Peter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, there is going to be darkness 
darkness, darkness where there's blindness. You know if you go into a cave and then 24 hours if it's pitch black, within those hours you know you go blind. Y'all know all that. That's just science. Okay, Mark chapter 9, 47 through 49. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It is better to enter the kingdom of God half blind than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Verse 48, where the worm never dies. There's an internal, internal, internal pain. If they feel no pain now, they will feel pain then. Prove it, John. Right here it is. The worm that never dies and the fire that never goes out. Internal pain, external pain. Luke 12, 47, and the slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. Matthew, many lashes. So there's lashes to those. The Matthew 13, 41, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be what, saints? It's not there, is it? Sorry. I'm sorry, that didn't go over well. Sorry, I put the wrong one up. Matthew 13, 42. They will throw them into the fire furnace. Working on it. Matthew 13, 42 says this, where there will be weeping and what? Any takers? How can somebody weep if they don't feel pain. See, they might not feel pain now if Dylan doesn't give his life to Christ. If he doesn't, he will feel pain. He will weep. The great divorce, C.S. Lewis, basically says this. Here's the bottom line. You're, he's going to stand there and he's going to be, he's going to see, he's going to see heaven. He's going to see that presence and know that he can never get there. And in his heart, great divorce, read it, page 67. He is going to say, in my, in my life, on earth, I gave up that for that. People are going to say, I gave up heaven for this sex, for this drug, for this selfishness, for this pride, for this unforgiveness, for this anger, for this hatred, for this bitter root. I gave up heaven for that, and it will destroy them emotionally. To the point where they grind their teeth till they shatter. He will feel pain. Question three, why did God let this happen? I mean, let's just lay it out there. How could God be good? The Bible says God is good. How could God be good and allow such evil? Listen, I have so much to tell you. I have so, go down to, this is so much. Go down to, to, to verse four. Hebrew, Psalm 10, verse four. In all his scheming, the wicked arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since God does not exist. The first part of verse five is ways are always secure. Notice that good things happen to bad people. Verse 7, cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near the villages. He kills the innocent in secret places. That's, that's prophetically saying, just what happened. Just what happened. So if God is good, why didn't he stop it? On Chris's, a Singleton's Twitter account, somebody put on there, somebody told me, somebody put on there, you know, if God, if there was really a God, he would have stopped your mom from being murdered. Really? Really? 
here's what's interesting about that statement. I'm going to show you something. Because if God is nothing but a good luck charm to you, then you will die and go to hell. And I say that with, with a broken heart. That is not what God promises. God does not promise that he's going to come here and miraculously move the, the angle of the bullet if someone would shoot at me and go the other way. God's not going to do that. Though he can, and though in rare occasions some miracle might happen to save someone's life, he doesn't say that's going to happen all the time. Back it up, John. I'll show you. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what, shall, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. That's miraculously moving the bullet. This is good stuff. Hey, this makes me want to follow Jesus, people. Quench the fiery flames. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. There you go. And escape the edge of the sword. Like King David, whose weaknesses were turned into strength. Hallelujah. I'm singing praises to Jesus right now. I love it. And became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Go ahead, King David. Your little man with the little stone. A young kid throwing it. Busting up old Goliath over nine feet tall. I'm digging it. I'm following Jesus. Women receive back their dead every time I pray. I hope that happens. Raised to life again. Others were what, saints? And refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were put, excuse me, were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two for Isaiah. They were put to death by the sword. There will be saints who are miraculously saved and there will be saints who will be killed. That's what you get for following Jesus. The Bible says that we're mist, a vapor, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, so why do we hold God accountable for it? We are not, we are not promised the next breath. And by common grace of God we receive it. I'm telling you, what, is God good? Yes. Then why did God allow it, John? Why does God allow some good things to happen and some bad things to happen? It's very simple. The very love of God, the very love of God allows the free will of man. Now, you don't hear me because some of you so reformed, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Do I believe in the sovereignty of God? Yes. Do I believe that God is in total control? Yes. Do I believe God allowed that to happen? Yes. Uh, uh, Wednesday night, do I believe God could have stopped it? Yes. But did God stop it? No. Why? Free will. It is not his will that one should what? But people do. Oh, but John, make your calling and election sure. Elect. You are predestined. Bible also says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What do you do with that passage? Who's the whosoever? Bottom line is this. I'll make it very simple for you the best I can without getting so theological that I'll just lose you in all the debate. The bottom line is this. Is God in total control? Does God know who he's going to choose? Has God predestined us to be, to come to him? Yes, yes, yes. God knows and God has chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. Yes, we are chosen. He has brought us. But within his sovereignty, there is limited free will. 
and the Spirit is awakened, and those could do. But because He truly loves you, and if He truly loves you, it's going to be this. Now, I've been challenged by many people on this. Well, John, then if you had some part of your salvation, then you're not truly worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself in that salvation because you actually said yes to Him. Listen, the only reason I said yes is because the Spirit moved me to say yes. I can't say yes on my own. I can't even work the microwave. How can I say yes to an almighty God? The Spirit of God had to raise my dead spirit from the dead. The Spirit of God had to raise me to see the beauty of Christ. The Spirit of God had to say, this is so beautiful that yes, yes, and yes. But there is, there is within that free will, in that free will, people have the opportunity to do something. The people have the opportunity to respond. God is not a deist. He did not create the world and set it to go. God is the God within. And why did he allow it? Because there is free will. People go to my family's law firm because of free will. And there's murderer after murder, rapist after rapist, child molester after child molester, and they do it all for the name of Jesus, and their hearts are broken, and they have to fight not to have hard hearts and be cynical toward, towards every person that's in prison because that's all they see and that's all they do. But God has called them to be salt and light and share the gospel with the least of these. That is why my twin sister does what she does, and my nephew and my brother father and he's alive there's free will i wanted to go into it a little more but uh, the bottom line is this the love of god does not mean the absence of god the love of god and his ability to give us free will he's maximally great i taught y'all this in apologetics class here in a foreign level class you were in it robbie some others were in it tanner was in it i taught you about this i taught you about the limited free will in the idea behind it because god is maximally great and he's only going to do things that are logical and that are great. That's why he can't, people say, well, can he make a rock? Uh, he can't lift. Well, first of all, that's the dumbest question ever, okay? Because it's illogical. God is maximally, there are things God can't do. God can't sin. God can't lie. God cannot do things that are illogical. So why would he do something that he can't do? It's illogical. So the question is illogical. It's like, why are elephants purple? Doesn't exist. So that's the idea. So there's free will. People, he had a, Dylan had a choice. God gave him a choice. But not out of choice outside of his control. So then here's the question. So I'm going to try to land this. So how do we deal with the anger? How do we deal with the anger? How do we deal with it? Uh, Brandy, can you show up some of the pictures that they, they put on Twitter this morning from worship down there at the church downtown. Uh, I want you to see some of the pictures. These are, these, these are, that just happened in the worship downtown. These are, these, are, these are how people are calling on God. Instead of responding with a sword, they're responding with praise. They're responding with trust. You saw and you heard, you saw the family members say, I forgive you to that man dealing. Though every fiber in my body hurts, I forgive you. Why? Because we all stand in need of forgiveness. And there's only one judge. And let me tell you something. Though we can put people to death through the government, that will never, that will never bring the pain that hell will bring. Look at the next picture. They're putting 
the black cloth over the pastor's chair. Crush me. Crush me. And then the next frame, you're going to see the, the man who's speaking, praying, right next, leaning on that chair. Because there's an emptiness inside of us because what happened. That's what's going on. And so why? What do we deal? How do we deal with the anger towards the Lord? How do we deal with the anger towards Dylan? How do we deal with the anger and the people that want to lash back and, and, and inflame and incite more racism and more hatred and more hurt and get me to hate my brother who doesn't look like me? I've already taught you. Every color is brown. I looked at all those things with the thing where I was praying over Chris and it had over two million hits. I was enamored by it. I looked down at some of the comments and some guy was just raging saying, oh yeah, well, way to go put Jesus on there. I bet you wouldn't even let your daughter date an Afro-American. I've told y'all from day one, I don't care what color uh, uh, my children bring somebody home, but if they don't love Jesus, they ain't staying. I've had people walk out of this church because of that. I don't care. I could care less. Now, don't get me wrong. I would like for my, my son to bring home a girl that runs a 4-4, that's 6-5, can dunk a basketball. And, no, I'm kidding. That's a side note. I, I got lost in that. But my point being, that people are in science. Inside, I was so tempted. I wanted to go back and just say, you know what, brother? My name is John Davis, and I'm the guy that was praying. And I just want you to know, uh, 10 years ago, I stood up in a church, and I said, my daughter can bring home anybody she wants. I don't even care what color. So I don't know what type of lies you're trying to incite, but you shouldn't say things what you don't know about. So that's why it's online. And that's why what I said goes out there, and it goes online, because I want it to be heard. I don't care, and neither do you. Neither do you in your heart. Because if you love Jesus, it doesn't matter except somebody loves Jesus. So what do we do with it? What did David do? So King David's wrapped in this, Psalm 10. I'm going to land this plane. Don't worry, we're almost there. Psalm 10, just hang with me because I got this. Oh, I could just go. I feel like David Platt. I could just go for six hours, Kevin, and everybody would leave, and I'd be in here by myself, and so it'd be kind of useless. Here we go, Psalm 10, verse 16. So King David is is saying, God, where are you? Where are you? I'm angry. I'm hurting. Where are you? Verse 16, this is so good. Then he says, the Lord. It's all of a sudden he changes gears because the Spirit of God rises up within him. Verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his hand. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. Notice that he is saying, God, you're with us. We have questions. You have answers. And I've only just hit a couple today because of time. But at the end of it, the very core of every answer is that God is with us. He changes in the middle of his brokenness. Why are they striking down the, the, the weak? Why are the, why are the murders hitting the people in those secret places? Why? He says, but at the end, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully. Doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressor that men on earth may terrify them no more. He goes to the real father, though we celebrate Father's Day today. And, but the bottom line, there's really only one father who's good. If you look for your father to be good on this earth, he will let you down. He will. I'm not putting anybody down, people. Don't don't, don't get me wrong. You're all good daddies. Hey, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right? Tied double. All right, but my point is, 
is that you, the bottom line is that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We are all a work in progress called sanctification, theological truth. Bottom line is this, there's only one who's good, there's only one Father, and His name is God. He is the great I am who bestowed that very name onto Jesus and gave him the name above every name. He gave him the name Yahweh. The answer to every question is that God is with us. Yes, he was with those precious believers. He was with Dylan Roof. He was with our sisters and brothers in heaven. He is with us. And I'm going, oh, man, I'm just going to prove to you that he's with us. Um, Revelation chapter 1. We're, we're getting ready to land it. Here we go. This is this now. David Platt. I'm going to use some of David Platt's words because it spoke so much to my heart on Monday night in Columbus, Ohio. But this, this is I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to prove to you that Jesus Christ is here. I'm not going to. The Holy Spirit is going to through his word. And I'm going to prove to you that he was there that night in that Bible study when those non-believers were murdered. Jesus was there. And because he is with us, it's greater than what happens to us. So yea, though I walk through. See, see, people think death is the end. But according to scripture, we go through death. We don't stay in death. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over here. Because when Jesus is with you, I'll show you. Here we go. Let's just talk a little bit. Here we go. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, John. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Jesus holds the key of death. Jesus holds the key. He is the one. That's why we look to him, the indescribable Christ. He is the one. He is the one who holds the key. I want you to know that Satan did not kill, did not kill, he did kill those believers in some sense, and that Dylan did, but it's only because Jesus allowed it. He has the key. He's the one who determines when people live or die. And you say, but John, how is that good? Because death is not the final blow to believers. Death brings glory to Jesus. He prophetically said that to Peter. He said, you will die this way and you'll bring glory to me this way. And what happens is believers all across this nation, there's a rise up of believers in this nation and we're pointing to Jesus. We're not pointing to divide. God has the keys. God has the keys. Death, as Platt said, is controlled by Jesus. Keys are a symbol of authority. Satan does not determine when we die. Jesus does. And then he turns people's death into gain. I watched there. I stood with Chris when he said, love is greater than hate. I stood with him. I stood there. I watched him. Even though Al Sharpton is tweeting it and I'm... Mm, not a fan. So, but my point is, point is, I just want you to know that the Spirit of God is doing a mighty work. We were invited downtown to worship with them and Tim with all those churches, but we didn't find out until late in the afternoon. That's why we gave people option. It wasn't because we were trying not to do it. Plus, like Kevin said to me this morning back there, John, I feel like you got a word from the Lord, and you would probably agree I do, don't I? Listen, God is trying to tell you something. He holds the keys. 
He's the one in authority. He's the one in control. It's just like when he said in the last nine months as him being the International Mission Board president, he would get phone calls in the middle of the night of this, of this missionary dying. And he can't, nobody knows. You don't see it in the headlines. Why? Because they die because they're in, they're in a foreign land. Hint, hint. And so their stories can't be told. And so what happens is these people don't know. So he would call and he would go talk and he'd say, let me tell you what your mommy or your daddy, let me just give you some hope right now. And he would look at, 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 the, child's, uh, at the child and he'd say, let me tell you what your mommy knew. Your mommy knew the king of hope. And because she knew the king of hope, the king of hope is the one who controls her death, who leads to eternal life into his arms. Because our home is not here. Our home is not with our children or grandchildren. Our home is with our daddy. But we have an assignment while we're here. When, he would say, when your mother or when your father's heart stopped beating, Christ asserted his authority over death and welcomed them home, saints. He asserted authority, and he will assert it over you and assert it over me. He will assert that authority over death as he welcomes us home. Because death is not the final blow. As he said, gaze upon the indescribable Christ. As you read in this passage, and you see what he was like, and he's standing among those lampstands, and he was dressed in a long room with a gold sash. His hair, head, uh, uh, his hair was uh, hair white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a flaming fire, and feet like burnished bronze. He holds the keys of death and Hades. He is in the middle, and we have to rise up. God is calling upon us to, to look. And then, how can you say, but John, how do I know he's with us? How do I know? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 12 of, of Revelation chapter 1. Here, we're getting ready to land it. We've got to rise up. I turn to see the voice I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. If you read the end of Revelation, it says that the seven lampstands represent the seven churches that are in chapters 2 and chapter 3. In chapters 2 and chapter 3, some of the churches were in sin, some of the churches were in deep persecution, i.e. deep persecution, i.e. what happens downtown. But he says this, he says, Jesus says this, but he is among the lampstands. He is among the lampstands. You put a lamp on a stand so it can project. And that's what God is doing down there. And that's what God is doing through us, all the believers who rise up. He is projecting his life. Jesus walks among the lampstands. He walks among the churches. His word. He doesn't lie. I already told you there in Deuteronomy 3. He does not lie. He walks among the lampstands. But God is asking us. He's asking us to rise up. He holds the keys of death. He holds it. His right hand of authority. Possessing his people. Like he said, like Platt said, that using his people, the whole point of a lampstand is to provide light. And here is the word, as he said, struggling sister or brother, discouraging, discouraging, or if you're discouraged or disheartened or doubting for whom your faith is hard to find in this very moment, 
Jesus is present. He is the indescribable Christ. And God is raising us up to be warriors in the midst of this battle. Because our battle is not against Dylan. Our battle isn't against racists. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. As we know, that's why it says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against, but see, the world who doesn't know Christ, they swing at people. We don't. We don't fight. Our weapons in 2 Corinthians 10 are not weapons that are like carnal weapons or the world. We uh, The weapons that we fight for pull down strongholds holds in people's minds and changes everything. That's what God is asking us to do. He's asking to raise us up and be these prayer warriors. Can you, this movie's coming out August 28th, but I want to show you just a clip because it's dealing with Priscilla Schreier is the lady, one of the ladies in the video, the young lady who's struggling. There's an older lady who's a prayer warrior. She has this room she calls the war room and prayers. But I want you to, I want you to watch this, this little clip. Uh, it's like a promo of, of the movie. I want you to watch and watch how she's praying because God is calling us to go to war today. Because we follow, we follow a God who's not just in the midst of the Bible. We follow a God who is victorious. And here is that example. pray like that. God is with you. He is walking amongst us. Jesus is amongst us. God is calling us to pray. He's asking you to follow him as he raises you up to stand in the gap against racism, to stand in the gap against hatred, to stand in the gap of the works of the enemy. And today, who will stand in the gap? As Robbie plays over me, who will stand in the gap today and say, God, I believe you walk among the lampstands, that you have the answers, and that God, Dylan needs forgiveness. Though he's going to pay a heavy price on this earth, and he should, God disciplines even those he loves. But we need to be people of prayer and people of action. 
And we need to be at the forefront proclaiming the name of Jesus that God is bigger than racism. Because Jesus is the only answer to racism. Jesus is the only answer to this pain. He's the only answer. And He is among us. God has not left us. He has not forsaken us. He walks among the lampstands. And He he is in this room today and willing to show and exercise His authority. But we need to be people of prayer. Maybe you feel led to pray for the people downtown. Maybe for their families. Maybe for the people that are affected in the nation. Maybe internationally. Maybe for your family as well. Whatever that might be. But today, we need to call upon the name of the Lord. God is with us and among us. And He has all the answers. And my question is, will we look to the indescribable Christ? He is not over us, as Platt said. He is holding you in his hand. And through the, though the world is spinning, Jesus is holding us by his grace. Will we pray? Prayer is a wartime, John Piper would say, walkie talk. connect our heart and our thoughts with the mind and heart of Jesus. Prayer brings us in a line with Him. We need to call upon Him in our war room today. And who will do it? Who will just come? That's the gospel. That Jesus is greater in your sins and my sins. And today, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you something. By His providence, you have heard that Jesus is Lord and that you are incapable of ever doing enough good works to get back to Him. And He is greater than all and above all and before all. And in creation, He had the first word. And in the end, He will have the last word. Dylan doesn't have the last word. Jesus does. Here to save you. And his blood is more than enough. And his death covers our death that should lead to separation forever from him called hell. His life was perfect so we can receive his righteousness and we can walk in it. And he did it for free because he loved us so you can't earn it, you can't lose it. And today he's offering it and his Holy Spirit will come inside you and dwell with you forever. And his presence as he holds the keys of death and Hades will usher us in into his presence one day. We must call upon the name of the Lord. If that's you today and you want to talk to somebody, there will be some people right over there to talk to you. But to the saints in this room, let's go to war and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today. We have questions, but you have the answers. And you are Lord over all. So we look to the indescribable Christ. We look to your presence. We look to the beauty of the Lord. We look to you today, Lord. We look and we call upon you. And we go to war today that there will be no more racism in this place. There won't be racism in our hearts. That, Lord, when we are troubled, we will look to Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, he said. That's our call today, Lord. we got to go to war. Raise us up, Lord, as we pray for the people 
downtown that are in pain. We pray for everyone in that church that was affected. We pray for all the people that were senselessly murdered. That's why we can't understand it because evil makes no sense. Though Adam and Eve wanted to try and figure it out, it makes no sense. And so today we call upon you, Lord, and we worship you. We pour our hearts out to you. As a body of believers, Lord, I ask you to move in the hearts of the people in this room to come and kneel and come and pray and pour their heart out and say, God, please bring healing and restoration. Raise up prayer warriors. As we pray for the healing of your body, we pray for the healing of this nation, we pray for the healing of the leaders, we even pray for the salvation of the murderer. Because even on the cross, Jesus, you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Help us to be angry and not sin. Help us to walk in your purpose and your plan. Help us to live in your abundant righteousness and goodness. We have questions, and you have answers. So our eyes look to you the author and finisher of our faith. We call upon you now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. You come. If you need, you have questions about Jesus, you come. If you want to come and pray as a believer, come. But I pray everyone in this place, if you're physically able, we are on our knees seeking the Lord, begging God, bring your healing presence because you are here and we call to you out of despair and hurt and pain. We call to the name of Jesus. Lord, you are our deliverer, and you are our God.